Good morning, everyone. So, we've all been on lots of journeys during our lifetime. Some maybe more than others. Um, And when you're going on a journey, you have to do a lot of preparation. One of the most important things you have to know when you're going on a journey is where you're going. Otherwise, you'll just meander around, wander about, and you won't really end up anywhere. <laughs> My, a few months ago, and I think I might have told this story in the Lord's Supper a while back, um, a few months ago we took a short journey over to Holland, Michigan, to see my grandma, and so she could see her great-grandkids. And we were, we were staying at a hotel. My uncle and aunt were there as well, and we, we went, went out to eat with them. And on the way back to where we were staying, Johnny, um, mom and dad, my mom and dad were with us as well. Dad was driving the vehicle. And as we're on the way back to where we're staying, Johnny says, to, says Grandpa, you drive, and I'll tell you where to go. <laughs> so now, when you come to an intersection, you know, you, you basically have one of three options. You can go right, left, or straight. And so Johnny would be like, Grandpa, go right. And maybe Grandpa goes right. He's like, oh, yeah, I really know where I'm going. Then other times he'd be like, Grandpa, go left. But Grandpa just keeps driving straight on. He's like, Grandpa, you're supposed to go left. Finally, he got it in his head and came to the conclusion that, you know what, Grandpa, you drive and you tell yourself where to go. I don't really know where I'm going. (laughs) So, but isn't that how we are so often? Isn't that how we could describe especially those who are lost without Christ? They don't know where they are going. That's why we call them to be lost. And... A lot of people, they don't know where they're going. They don't know where they're going to go after they die. They don't know. Some may think they know where they're going. Oh, I'll just end up in the ground. Some may think, oh, I think I'll end up in heaven because of all the good works that I've done, um, because my church tells me so. So some may think they know where they're going, but by and large, people do not know for sure where they're going. We do. We have, as believers, a sure destination in mind and a sure journey. That's why the title of this sermon is Journey of a Lifetime. And growing up, I've been on a lot of journeys, especially with my dad being a pilot and all flying about. And if you were to talk him, you know, he's flown these small Cessna planes. That's a 206 on the bottom there. for many years. And if you were to ask him, well, what, what are some instructions for taking a journey, say, in a small plane? And there's basically four instructions that he might give you. He said, don't travel in the dark. As a small plane, you can't really fly well in the dark. Another one would be follow an accurate map. F- follow a map. Follow a GPS or a compass so that you know where you're going, and that it should be accurate. Um, how many times have you used a GPS driving in your car and you've ended up somewhere else? Me. <laughs> but use an accurate. Um, travel light. If your plane is too heavy, you're going to come down, come crashing down. Travel light. Just, just take what's necessary. 
And finally, know that your destination is secure. And so, in in this passage, and we're going that we're going to read, there's the these are the four instructions that Paul provides for us as believers as we journey on our go on our journey in Christ. And if we could turn to Ephesians chapter four, uh, starting in verse seventeen. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 32 reads, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness in their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus." that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So why don't we start with this first instruction that Paul gives to us on our journey of the Christian life, if you will. Don't travel in the dark. Let's look at verse 19. Verse 19 says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Paul is talking here to the Ephesian believers. And he's contrasting the way that they should live with the way the rest of the Gentiles. These were Ephesian Gentile believers. And he's contrasting the way they should walk with the way they used to walk, or the way the rest of the Gentile non-believers walk and he he makes a statement that says don't walk as the rest of the gentiles walk in the futility of their mind now the futility of their mind it basically means like walking aimlessly these guys don't know where they're going the the ephesian the ephesian citizens they worship the goddess diana I can tell you this much, the goddess Diana does not give any hope to people where they're going when they die. The goddess Diana required them to, um, to they used lots of charms in their worship with him, lots of superstition, 
the, there's no hope, only, only, um, only a, maybe a glimmer of a hope, but no real definite for sure hope that I know where I'm going where I die. And thus, the Ephesians non-believers, they're walking aimlessly in the futility of their mind, just following their own natural desires. But you, you'll notice he says, no longer walk. He's t- commanding the believers, don't walk. It's not just, don't just take a step. Saying, don't walk in what they're doing. Don't return to your former lifestyle. Don't, in other words, don't, he's not advocating for perfectionism. He's saying, don't let it be a consistent lifestyle where you're returning back to your former nature, to your former way of living. And to give you some background to what Paul is saying here, let's turn to Acts chapter 19, if you will. Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 18, Paul, at the end of his second missionary journey, he had come to Ephesus with uh, Aquila and Pris- Priscilla, Aquila and Priscilla. <laughs> Pris- is that right? Yes, Aquila and Priscilla. <laughs> okay, and he, he had brought them to Ephesus. He had gone into the synagogue to reason with the Jews, to, and assumedly he led some to Christ. And he left them there because he had to get to Jerusalem and... He goes to Jerusalem. Apollos comes to Ephesus. He does some more gospel outreach. He's very enthusiastic for the Lord. And uh, along with Priscilla and, and Aquila, more people get saved. Apollos leaves and goes to Ikea. Paul begins his third missionary journey and comes back to Ephesus to spend good quality time there. And in chapter 19 and verse 8, he comes back and he finds there's disciples there. There's believers there whom Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila, maybe even himself, had led before, and they're there. And in verse 8, it says, And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So Paul comes back, he finds some disciples, he goes to the synagogue, they hate what he's saying in the synagogue, kicking him out, he takes his disciples with him and goes to the school of Tyrannus, and in the school of Tyrannus, he's ministering the word of God, he's discipling these new believers, Others are coming to Christ, and the word of God spreads throughout the whole area to both Jews and Greeks, and people are getting saved. Now, listen to this next section. In verse 11, God worked unusual, now God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul, so that even a handkerchief or apron were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jew, Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had e- evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, the Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit... Lo- what? 
Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought out their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. At the end of two years that Paul had been there, you have these extraordinary events taking place. God is working miracles through the Apostle Paul, so much so that you can take his snotty handkerchief and touch it on someone and they get healed of their diseases. Demons are coming out of them. And just the Lord is doing a lot of wonders through Paul here. You then get these Jewish exorcists who they might have been a little bit jealous of what Paul was doing. <laughs> and they decide to exorcise demons out in the name of Jesus and Paul, even though they're Jews. And they tried it. And this demon says to them, I know Paul. I know Jesus, but who are you? And he jumps on them and totally obliterates them, destroys them, makes havoc of their lives, if you will. And because of these extraordinary events, people start coming to the Lord. And verse 19 says, Many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burnt them in the sight of all. Who is this who is burning the books? Who are these people that are coming back to the Lord? Is it non-believers? You'd think so, but it's not. Verse 18, And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. These were believers. These were Ephesian believers who many of them may have been saved for at least two years. And yet during the, all those two years that while Paul was there sharing the word of God, they had continued in this evil sin um, with these charms, these magic books, dealing with the goddess Diana. Anyone today, going back then, uh, to look at them, you would have concluded that, wait, are these really, they, these can't be believers. They have, you would have thought that they are lost people, because that is how they are behaving. But these are believers who had, con even though they were saved, even though they had eternal life, they still followed the practices, and worshipped the goddess Diana. And it wasn't until these miraculous events happened and these extraordinary events, so much a demon beating these, these guys up, that they realized, wait a second, we're actually dealing with demonic powers, we're dealing with evil here. And they came, they brought all their books out and burnt them in the sight of all. And so Paul would say to the Ephesians, don't walk in futility of your mind. Don't walk like the rest of the Gentiles walk because he knew their background. He had doubted. Just imagine you're the Apostle Paul. You're trying to minister the word of God to these people for two years. And for two years, they, they're believers. They're your brothers and sisters, but they're ignoring what you're saying. And they just keep on living in that sinful lifestyle. How disheartening would that be? I, this is the background 
to the, to the book of Ephesians. And fortunately, in verse 20, it says, So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. I wonder, I wonder if we, this could be said of us at all. It wasn't until after these believers confessed their evil that they had been involved in. They destroyed what was hindering their walk with the Lord. That says, and so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. I wonder why the, why the word of the Lord doesn't grow, seems not to grow mightily and prevail in our lives, in our communities. Could it be because in many ways we're like these Ephesian believers? Oh, maybe we don't have the charms, the magic books, all that kind of stuff. But we could still have idols in our own hearts. Could be anything, sports, politics, entertainment, whatever. But is there a f- darkness that we are walking in that is, could be hindering the word of the Lord spreading mightily and prevailed? And I'm, just, I'm speaking this to myself here as well. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter chapter 4. So when Paul is writing the book of Ephesians, he remembers what was going on in the early lives of these believers. And he's reminding them, don't go back to doing those things that you are doing. Don't walk in futility of your mind, verse 17. Uh, In verse 18, don't walk blindly, saying, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness in their hearts. Still talking about non-believers. And, and he's saying, don't do this. Don't walk like them. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'll just read it here quickly. And verse 3, Paul talking again, he says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The lost walk in darkness... They don't know where they're going. It says that the devil has blinded their eyes so that they don't receive the gospel. Our job as believers is to shine the light, to remove the, the veil so that they can see the truth of the gospel. They can trust Christ and, and believe in him. But how will they be able to see if, as believers, we are walking exactly like them? They could say, why, why should I be like you? There's no difference about you. Our job is to share the gospel, to spread the light of Christ. But if they see us just walking in darkness like they are, there, there will be nothing to, to draw them to Christ. Our job is not only to simply share the gospel, but to live it with our lives. Going back to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, uh, sorry, not verse 3, verse 19. 
still talking about non-believers, the description of them, who being past feeling. Now that's an interesting phrase. I didn't really know what it m- means, but I, so I had to look it up. Basically, it's talking about don't be apathetic. Don't be callous. Don't allow um, the things of the world to hinder your walk with the Lord. Don't be apathetic to the situation around you, to the sin within your own heart. Because that, that is how a lot of believers are, just simply apathetic. Don't care about what's going on uh, around them. You live your life, I'll live my life. You've got your truth, I'll live my truth. And, 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 and let, let's not get step on each other's toes. Apathetic, don't care. But that is not how believers are to be. To, we're to care about the lost. We're to care about our own fellow brothers and sisters who are on this journey with us. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness. Lewdness is basically a loss of control, ex- especially um, sexually s- speaking. Just giving in to sexual promiscuity, etc. Whatever, whatever my desires are, that's what I'm going to go and express them. And, and this is our culture today. And we're not to do this. Given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. You know, I, I, I can somewhat re- know what the Ephesian believers were going through. Because they are so often, it, it's very similar to what, what happens in Zambia. In Zambia, you have a lot of these issues as well, dealing with charms, magic books, etc., witchcraft, sorcery. And uh, even in Zambia, it had the same issues. Uh, there was one time I, myself and Bruce Mukwatu went doing a gospel outreach. And an elder, who not from a, an assembly but from another church, came, gets saved. And he brings out all of his charms the next day, and which he had kept hidden under his bed, and burns them all in the sight. He had been an elder for years. Yet he just gets saved. He brings out his charms, burns them. His, he, and he said his father had given them to him when he was a young boy and had told him, the day that you reveal these charms is the day you will die. But he brings them all out and burns them. Now what was interesting was one charm in the fire jumped out. So he threw it back in and then jumped out again. Threw it back in and then jumped out again. This stuff is very real over there. I think in, in our culture here, we don't really see the reality of the spiritual side that, that goes on, but it, it's there. It's very real. Um, another, and talk to Chi-Chi. She, she had a lunch with, with ladies at an assembly one time that we, vi- we were at, and the ladies were just talking about, oh, do you know this charm? This charm over here, it will make a man fall in love with you. Or, or this other charm, it will help your kids grow healthy and strong. And this is what the believers in Ephesus were going through. They wanted to still cling on to these wicked practices and not follow the Lord. Now we might not be in the same boat as them exactly, in terms of charms and whatever. 
but we might have other things that are hindering our walk with the Lord. What is hindering your walk with the Lord? Are we walking in darkness like non-believers? We're supposed to be examples to them, but the Ephesian believers, at least the first two years of their life as a believer, was not that way. And so not only does Paul provide the instruction of don't travel in the dark, but he also provides the instruction of follow an accurate map, or if you will, a GPS. In verse 20, it says, but you have not so learned Christ. What a stark contrast. A stark contrast between the way the world walks and the way Christ walks. Christ is the exact opposite of all these things we read in verses 17 to 19. He's called the light of the world. Light guides your way. It shines, it reveals things so that, you, so that your path is clear, so that you know where you're going and you can avoid obstacles. Christ is that way. He is the light of the world. It says, but you have not so learned Christ. In verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. As believers, there's no need for us to walk futilely, to be aimless in our wandering. We have a direction to go, we, and Christ is that direction. Being conformed to the image of God is the standard that we are all headed towards, that we are to aim for. In verse 20, it says, if indeed you have heard him. It, I think that this is a bit of a mistranslation. It's not like he's trying, to, he's trying to make them doubt whether they're really saved or not. I think a better way is that since you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Paul spent two years with them, teaching them the things of the Lord while they were still walking in darkness. He spent another year afterwards discipling them after they decided no we actually really want to walk with the lord for three years paul was with with the believers and in in acts chapter 20 he says for three years i have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of god so these guys they knew the word of god and they saw the difference between how christ is and how the way they were walking was if indeed you have heard him because the truth is in Jesus. And it, it is a big difference. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He's not a truth. But, but that's the whole world today. Relativity. You do your truth, I'll do my truth. That's not the way it works. Christ is the truth. And we view it as, yeah, he's the truth for, believer, for non-believers to be saved, for sure. But he's also the truth for us as believers to walk, to follow after him, to aim toward, to be like him. Gives us a direction to go to. Then continues saying to put off the corrupt old man. In verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and then to put on the new man. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, he's saying put off your formal life. As believers, we still have our old sinful nature. And it's pulling at us, grabbing us, trying to, even though it's doom is sure, it wants to pull us, 
trample us down with it. We, but we have this new nature in Christ. A new na- nature that, in, as you see in verse 24, is true righteousness and holiness. When we sin, we're not living according to our new nature. We're living according to the, our old nature, our old sinful nature. When we do what pleases the Lord, we're living according to the new nature he has given to us because the new nature does not sin. And, and we quite often we experience this war within us. The old nature is pulling us this way. The new nature is pulling us this way. This is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. The things that I want to do, I do not do it. Um, but the things that I would to do, those that I'm, I'm just going to read it because <laughs> that's confusing. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. It's quite a tongue twister. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So it's almost like Paul is distancing him from sin, himself from sin. Sin is still there. The old sinful nature is still there. But he is a new creation in Christ, though, it is st- though the sinful nature is still there. Uh, verse 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil that I will not do that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. This is the Apostle Paul. And it's like he experiences that same thing, that same tension with him between his old sinful nature drawing him that way and the new one drawing him the opposite direction. I find then the law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And I think this is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 4. That conflict between our two natures, pulling us in either direction. The question is, which one is going to prevail? I love the hymn that says, Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. When we are abiding in our new nature, when we're trusting him and obeying what he has told us to do, it's like we're feeding our new nature. That one becomes stronger. When we're not doing that, when we give in to sin, the old sinful nature becomes stronger there as well. So how about us? What map are we following? What GPS are we following? When you're flying a plane, and um, some of you kn- know that I did aviation at, at Moody. I, I'm an aircraft mechanic by training, and I did some flying lessons as well, uh, though I dropped out for various reasons from the flying part of it. But when you're flying, you have to plot a course. Say you're flying to Cleveland, from Detroit to Cleveland. 
and you plot a course, you have to go in this certain direction. But if you go just a little bit off, you're not going to end up in Cleveland. You're going to be miles away. Maybe you'll you know, end up in Lake Erie or something. <laughs> okay? And so quite often when you're flying, you'll have, whether it's wind or whatever, it, it will push you a little bit off course. And you have to redirect yourself, redirect your compass uh, according to the GPS, etc., to make sure that, no, I'm going to end up in Cleveland. And quite often, this is what we have to do. We get off course. Instead of following Christ, we're following something else, our own desires, our own passions, whatever. And we've got to correct course. This is what Paul is trying to do with the Ephesians. Don't go back to what you're living like. Follow, follow Christ. So how about us? Are we learning from and following Christ? Are we putting off our corrupt old man and are we putting on our righteous new man? So not only does Paul provide the instructions of don't travel in the dark and follow an mat, but travel light. Only take what is necessary with you on this journey. So let's look at some of these different bags, if you will, that we can carry. Uh, speak the truth with one another and have righteous anger. Verse 25 says, therefore, put a, putting away lying, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We're all on this journey together. We're all on the journey to the same destination as believers. And there's, there's no room for, for lying to one another. We have to be able to trust each other as fellow companions on this journey. It says, be angry and do not sin. It, this is like a righteous anger. God gets angry. He hates sin. And it's totally justifiable to be angry when we see all the wickedness around us. But don't let that anger lead to, to sin in your own life. Have righteous anger. Se- next one is work honestly and be generous. Verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. We're to work hard. We're to work honestly. Not cheating, not scamming, but to work diligently. And, and it's not just, yes, definitely to provide for our own needs, but also to bless those who are in need. God has blessed us so that we can be a blessing to others. Whether it's someone who is genuinely in need, maybe it's to further the work of you know, the assembly, the work of the Lord, um, whatever. God has blessed us so that we can be a blessing to others. It's interesting in verse 27, it says, nor give place to the devil. It's almost like, like when we give in to these things, we give the devil a foothold in our life. In, in this life, we're going to be used. People don't like the idea of someone using them. But it's a fact nonetheless. The question is, who is going to use you? Is the Lord going to have used you at the end of this life? Or is the devil going to have used you? Verse 29, speak gracefully. Let no corrupt, proce- corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, that it, it may impart grace to the hearers. We're to speak graciously, speak graciously the truth to non-believers. We're to speak gracefully with each other. Uh, in, in 
verse 15 uh, of the same, same chapter. Verse 15, speaking the truth in love. We're to speak the truth in love to one another. But we are to speak the truth. People want to shy away from the truth, but we can't. We have to speak the truth, whether it's to our lost or to one another. Sometimes we need to hear it. But we're to do it gracefully, and we're to do it with love. Skip down to verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Put off all the extra weight. Whatever is hindering you in your walk with the Lord, put it off. I like what Paul or the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 12, putting off all sin and the weight that so easily hinders us. Put off all the weight. So imagine an athlete running a race. Is he going to carry a lot of extra bags? Well, you wouldn't think so. Well, but some people, maybe, maybe they'll think, well, I think an athlete carries lots of bags when they're running a race. So I'm going to put this to the test here. Just to prove to you that if you carry lots of extra weight, you won't run the race well. And I've brought uh, an athlete here in the back. So he's going to demonstrate for us which is better, to run a race with lots of weight on or without lots of race. Please, run as fast as you can around the circle and demonstrate for us. Yes. Come on, faster, faster, faster. You can do it, faster. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. That was pretty fast. That was decently fast. Now, take everything off. Well, n not everything. <laughs> Okay, now try it. Faster, faster, come on. <laughs> there you go, there you go. Okay, so for any of you who might have been doubting whether you can run faster with lighter weight or not, uh, I think I've just proved it for you. That was a few seconds faster, I think, without all the weight on. How about us? What sin or weight do we need to put away? Individually. What is hindering your walk with the Lord, your service for him. What about as an assembly? That's something to think about. What is hindering us as an assembly uh, in our testimony for the Lord? Finally, not only does Paul provide the instructions of don't travel in the dark, follow an accurate map, and travel light, but also know that your destination is secure. You've got to know where you're going. And the fact is, our destination as believers is absolutely secure. We're going to arrive there one day. Nothing can stop it. And the reason is, because it says in verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. We have eternal life, we have salvation, and nothing can take that away from you and I. We can never lose it. But it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Why? All these things that we've been talking about, that we are saying to put off, they grieve the Holy Spirit. Why does it grieve it? Because he dwells within us. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you and within me. And, and it grieves him when we do these things because he is holy. He is absolutely holy. He hates sin. He is absolutely perfect. 
We've been looking in Ezekiel how the, the presence of the Lord was in the temple there in Jerusalem, and they filled it with all these idols and were worshiping all these false gods when it was supposed to be reserved for God and him alone. And in that case, God eventually left the temple. It's not so with us. We're called the temple of the Holy Spirit. But he has promised to be with us forever. And yet, are we going to, like the Jews did in the temple of Jerusalem, fill the temple of the Holy Spirit with all these things that grieve him? He is holy. He tells, but he, he's going, he has promised to stay there within us. And so why should we not grieve the Holy Spirit? Because he is holy. But also because he has sealed us for the day of redemption. A lot of people think, well, if you believe in eternal security, then it means that I can just go ahead and sin and do whatever I want. Paul does not use it that way. Eternal security is not a license for sin, but Paul uses it as a reason to not sin, a reason to not grieve the Holy Spirit. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you're sealed for the day of redemption. And it says, let all bitterness, wrath, etc. be put away from you because of that fact. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to dwell within us, and that is a huge privilege in and of, in and of itself. But he is there to guide us on our journey. He's there to lead us. And because he's such a good guide, he will bring us to our final destination. So why should I go ahead and grieve the one who not only dwells within me, who saved me, and who guides me along the way, but who has sealed me for the day of redemption, for eternal life. It, it does not say sealed me until I sin. It does not say he has sealed me for, you know, two or three years. Sealed me for, and you, for the day of redemption. Don't grieve him. Going on finally in verse 32, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And that's the basis of our salvation, of eternal life, of our security, God's forgiveness of you and me. And we're all on this journey together. We're all headed to the same destination. We'll all be there. And so if we're going to spend eternity forever, why not? Why why not start treating each other that way now? We're a family, the family of God, and we are to treat each other that way. It's interesting that so often, like, you see these inner city gangs, they treat each other more like family than we do quite often. But we are to treat each other like family, and we are to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. We all sin. We all go slip back to our old ways. But we're to forgive one another. Because God has forgiven you. How are we treating our fellow travelers? I like this picture. Plane coming into landing. They say that aviation is the, fat, is the safest way to travel. And maybe you don't like that. But it's statistically true. If you want to make sure you get somewhere. You're more likely to get there if you fly. Than if you drive by a car. Or any other mode of transportation. The Holy Spirit is even more secure than an airplane. He will get us to our final destination. He has secured it for us. 
question is, are we grieving the Holy Spirit by our lifestyles? Do we know that our salvation is secure? And how do we treat our fellow believers? I love this song, quite a well-known song by Steve Green. It says, we're pilgrims on the journey of the narrow road, and those who've gone before us line the way, cheering on the faithful, encouraging the weary, their lives a stirring testament to God's sustaining grace. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. And so may we as believers follow these instructions that Paul has given us as we continue our journey in Christ. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for these instructions that you have given to us. We ask for your grace, for your help, and for your strength in time of need to not go back to our old sinful lifestyles, but to walk in a way that honors you, that glorifies you. And we know we're weak, but you are all strong. Help, help us to trust and obey you in all these things. Thank you so much, Lord, that our destination is secure and that we can fully rely on that. Thank you for the joy of knowing that we have eternal life. And I'm reminded, Lord, of your word where it says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. In your name we pray. Amen.